0: Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be
1: seated. Good morning and uh, welcome to the Leawood campus. I'm Tom Nelson and uh, I hope uh, you had a safe travel here this morning and I'm glad you're here. Um, Last week we began a new message series we have uh, entitled A Church for Monday. And what we are doing in this series as a teaching team across our campuses is we are exploring with you what it means to follow Jesus in all of life, every nook and cranny. Now, Pastor Andrew last week highlighted the seven marks of a disciple that are going to frame our eight-week exploration. We learned last week that we were made for Monday. In other words, that your Monday and my Monday matter to God, and that on Mondays, we are on mission with God and for God. We also learned last week that our church leaders are specifically called, uniquely gifted, To equip you for where God has placed you on Monday. Now as a pastor, let me be very transparent this morning. Like most workplaces, we pastor types have measures by which we evaluate our performance. We might call them, using an athletic metaphor, scorecards. They are our activities and standards of performances, deliverables, accomplishments by which the effectiveness or success of our work is often measured. They are indicators if we are doing a good job or not. And the inconvenient truth is for many pastors, our scorecards are pretty messed up. Much of our scorecards are tied to what happens on Sunday. Like how many people show up on Sunday. The big problem is our scorecards are mostly about how well we do on Sunday. Rather than how well you do on Monday. Now of course pastors should care about people showing up on Sunday. That's a good thing. But if we are being faithful to our vocational calling, our primary scorecard, if you will, must be about how well we equip you for where you will be Sunday or Monday and not where we hang out on Sunday. Our primary focus before God must not be our one hour of gathering together a week, but the other 167 hours in your week. And this means for pastors and church leaders, we work diligently, understanding, praying, and equipping you for your Monday world. This is at the heart of our disciple-making mission at Christ Community. We are a church for Monday. But what does this mean for you? What does it mean for me? Now, in the next seven weeks, we are going to explore that, and last week, we introduced to you... Uh, Exploration Guide, and I'm going to encourage you, if you didn't pick one of these up to do that, this morning as you leave, they'll help you explore more fully the themes of our messages. So before I begin this morning's message, which is the second message in the series, and if you missed last week's message, please listen to it, okay? So let's pray before I begin my message. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, clear the clutter from our minds and hearts that we may follow you more fully in the world you call us to serve. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. The most holy name. The name above every name that we bow before you. Amen. This past week I had a really delightful conversation with a friend of mine who had recently done an interview of a follower of Jesus in his Monday World. His name is Yero Cheney, and he inhabits a workplace where it is increasingly hostile and countercultural to the Christian faith and its truth claims. Yero Cheney is one of the leading animators and producers of movies in Hollywood. He is known for movies like Despicable Me, And his most recent release was this past Christmas, the latest version of The Grinch. Now in this interview, Yarrow talks about designing, directing, producing The Grinch. And guiding its message with his Christian worldview, carefully embedded in it. Yarrow speaks about how the message of Christmas is so deeply important to him personally, and how it brings transformation to a self-absorbed Grinch. Yarrow gives to us, I think, a wonderful window into his heart and his Christian worldview and his Monday world. Watch.
2: To watch this character find joy and to find you know togetherness and and really family and, and all of these things all of these things that he rejected to really find that peace with I think that's a it's a very uh, powerful story and and um, and then of course he wrapped that in in Christmas and and snow and and all of the joy the joy of Whoville and and visually the the design of of the of the world and the characters and it's just all, all of it comes together and it's just magical package and and having it be you know sort of themed around christmas is just just such a wonderful thing to spend you know for me <laughs> i love christmas and so you know spending years making a christmas movie is actually it's just a pleasure and so that's all of those things kind of Combining, you know to this this uh, project that 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 has just been a joy to work on.
1: I love this picture of his Monday world and I love the Grinch story. I love how Yarrow weaves together his Christian worldview and how he seeks to impact a culture that I think is increasingly a Grinchy culture. A secularized culture that looks at life Much like the Grinch, a life, the good life, that is built around self. That life is really, really, really just about me. About my self-actualization, my self-discovery, my self-fulfillment, and yes, my self-indulgence. But let me ask you, is a life built around self, however initially appealing it is to us, is it the path to the truly good life? In our text this morning, Jesus challenges us head on with this idea. And he offers us a radically different path to the truly good life. It is at its core a countercultural path. And it tells us that our Monday lives can't be primarily about us, but about Jesus and the cross life he invites us to embrace. So, what does it look like for a follower of Jesus in our Monday worlds? If you brought a Bible, turn with me to Luke's Gospel. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 9. So here in chapter 9, Luke reminds his readers that Messiah Jesus is the Son of God. And he sets us on a path to follow Jesus on the way to his cross. Jesus is clearly in the Gospel of Luke, making his way to Jerusalem, where both a cross and an empty tomb await him. Now as we come to verses 23-27, through before we dive in for a closer look, I want you to see how Rabbi Jesus frames his words in a particular rhetorical and literary pattern. He will do this in other cases. But here it is completely framed. First, Jesus offers an invitation. Invitation to all. On the heels of that, he embeds it in a metaphor. And in the metaphor is a paradox. For example in a metaphor, is the idea of having something in common. It's a comparative idea in a literary form. We say things like, he's a rock, right? Or she's a rock. It's not that a person is a rock, obviously. But that person has a connecting characteristic, like a rock. And a paradox is seemingly an impossible idea. A seeming contradictory idea that upon closer examination is actually true. So Jesus, in this text, will give us this flow. An invitation, a metaphor, and a paradox. In this form, he gives us three expectations for all who would say yes to Jesus. Let me give them for you because they frame our message this morning. If you and I say yes to Jesus and follow him, first, Jesus will say that means we will say no to self. Saying yes to Jesus is no to self. Secondly, saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to suffering. And third, saying yes to Jesus means we will find the truly good life, the life of true happiness. So let's dive in. The first expectation for those who would follow Jesus is that we are called to say no to self. Look at verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now Jesus' invitation to be his disciple or student or apprentice, you'll notice how the text frames a repetition of all or anyone. Do you see that? Jesus makes it crystal clear that his invitation is open to everyone. But again, on the heels of this gracious, inclusive invitation are some very hard-hitting words. They describe a life, a journey, marked by self-denial and self-sacrifice. In other words, it's important for us to see that Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. Jesus doesn't give us a bait and switch. Jesus is eminently forthright. He says, if you follow me, number one expectation, it's a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of Luke, is masterful here. He paraphrases this, he says, then he, Jesus, told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. And notice Eugene Peterson, how he frames this metaphor. You are not in the driver's seat. Jesus says, I am. Now Eugene Peterson, I think, hits to the heart of the matter. He utilizes this idea of a driver's seat, the one driving the car. And Jesus is saying here, friends, that the life of self-denial Is a life of letting Jesus be in complete control of our lives, of having the final say, of following His will for our lives, of embracing Jesus' kingdom values, and making sure His priorities override ours. Let me be as clear as I can what Jesus is saying. To deny oneself is to have a radical change of mind and heart. This is what Christians call repentance. And it's a change of heart and mind regarding one's passions, one's priorities, and what is most important in our lives. What is Jesus saying? He is saying, following me is our highest priority. It's your highest priority. It is your highest allegiance in life. Jesus says, I am in your driver's seat. If you follow me. Now how do you respond to that? How do I respond to that? See, when we hear Jesus' words about self-denial, first of all, I think we may misunderstand what Jesus is saying and what he is not saying. Jesus is not saying, when we understand all of his teaching, that we are not to love ourselves. Or to care for ourselves properly. Or that our feelings or desires don't matter. What Jesus is saying is there is a higher love that must be our ultimate love in life. That ultimate love for him continually puts him in the driver's seat of our lives. See, Jesus teaches, and just down the road in Luke chapter 10, the next chapter, that the heart of the Christian faith is not merely thinking rightly, but rather ordering our heart loves properly. Jesus will say in Luke 10, remember this great teaching, it's called the Great Commandment, if you're a part of the Christian tradition or you've read the Bible, that the summary of God's way is to love God with what? All your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as your self. Let's not forget the importance of this little phrase, as yourself. Now, Jesus boldly confronts idolatry of self. This text screams that, right? But Jesus also affirms a proper sense of self-love and self-care. For each of us is of immeasurable work to God. But this is what Jesus is saying. You and I cannot love ourselves rightly unless we first and foremost love God rightly. When Jesus calls us to a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice, it will mean a painful, continuous, all-encompassing dethroning of ourself. As the highest value of life. And it may seem risky. You know, I don't know. I don't, when, when you think about this, Jesus says, we need to risk everything for Him. How do we respond to that? I think the heart of it, it for me is this essence of challenging my control. Don't most of our lives revolve around us pursuing the alluring, mirage that we are in control in life. But let's be transparent. We are not in control of very much at all. In spite of all the layers of relational or financial security we wrap around our lives, isn't it true we are often at the mercy of forces beyond us and within us? Saying no to self on Monday will mean many things for us. It may mean extending forgiveness and pursuing reconciliation instead of punishment or retribution to someone, maybe that person comes to your mind right now that you're really struggling with. They may be under your own roof. They may be next to you at work, in your class at school. Someone whose words and actions have wounded you deeply. Saying no to self may mean serving a co-worker, getting their project done when it means your project needs more time late at night. Saying no to self may mean adjusting your schedule or my schedule so that we can serve our spouse or our family. What Jesus tells us is the first expectation of following Him in all of life and in our Monday world is we will have to continually say no to self. But notice the second expectation. Saying yes to following Jesus not only means saying no to ourself, it means saying yes to suffering. Now notice verse 23 again. Look at how the invitation moves to the metaphor of the cross. And Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now the cross in the first century, Jesus' listeners understood. It was the most gruesome, torturous reality. It was an instrument of shame. They were stripped naked in front of a whole community. It was an instrument of humiliation, of ridicule. Of the greatest sense of torture and mistreatment and ultimately death. And Jesus uses this metaphor. A reality he literally takes on his back to die for your sin and mine. But he places this at the heart of what does it mean to be a true Christian. A follower of Jesus. It's a powerful metaphor. And we must press into it. Jesus is saying those who follow him will pay a high price for following him. And notice the text. It is very explicit. It is taking up our cross, what? Every day. Martyr German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke into an apostate church in Germany. And he laid down his life, literally, literally. For his discipleship to Jesus. In his brilliant book, The Cost of Discipleship, Bonhoeffer says these timeless words When Christ calls a person, he bids him come and die. Bonhoeffer's point is the cross is not the finish line of discipleship, it is the very starting place for you and me, and it is the daily place we inhabit discipleship is a kind of daily death, Jesus says. A death to self. And it will involve suffering for Jesus' sake. Sometimes that is intense persecution that's been true in the history of the church. Today in unprecedented numbers, we talk quite a bit about this at Christ Community, the persecuted church around the world. Never before in human history have more followers of Jesus been raped, tortured, abused than today. And imprisoned and murdered. And perhaps most compelling is In Iran. Not long ago, on this very stage, a brother and sister in Christ from Iran shared their story about what it meant for them to follow Jesus of imprisonment, torture, and solitary confinement. And as a church, we have linked arms with Elam ministry to serve and to care for our brothers and sisters around the globe. Now, most of us probably will not face that kind of suffering. It may, it may come to that. But most of us will face other kinds of suffering. This is not the kind of suffering all of us face in a broken world, health, other matters. This is an additional kind of suffering those who follow Jesus will face. This is what Jesus is talking about. We may feel this sting of rejection or ridicule. Of our peers or teachers at school. I remember one of my philosophy classes in undergraduate school and this professor in one comment I'll never forget it he called Jesus the biggest joker and he ridiculed any student who would ever be a Christian They could be so ignorant now, your suffering might mean loving someone a great deal But because of your commitment to follow Jesus, you are experiencing the heartache of having to end the relationship and not pursue marriage. Following Christ increasingly in our culture, we may find ourselves having to speak out about ethical violations in our workplace. And it may mean giving up a lucrative account, or a part of your business. You may be pressured in your workplace to violate your conscience. You may be overlooked for a promotion or even lose your job. A friend of mine who was interviewing for a broadcast job, I'll never forget him telling me, I said, how did it go? He said, everything was great until I mentioned that I would support a Christian charity. And at that moment, in the final interview, the interviewer said, this interview is done, and they handed him a plane ticket home. I was at a conference a while back where I met the former fire chief of Atlanta, Calvin Cochran. He shared a story. I mean, this guy had a brilliant career, the highest reviews, and in his off time, when he wasn't working, he was a part of a church, he wrote a book on his own time that highlighted biblical understanding of human sexuality. Atlanta's mayor... Hearing about this book immediately suspended him and fired him. Calvin's story may be a bit on the edge today, but in increasingly secularized culture, Christian faith, its values, its truth claims are being increasingly rejected. And not only rejected, but Christians are increasingly being seen, not for their behavior but for their beliefs as oppressive and evil in our country. All humans face suffering, no doubt. But Jesus is saying, following me will mean additional kinds of suffering. And let's not forget that the followers of Jesus will also face a fiery foe. That we face the fury of the evil one himself. Yes, Satan is a defeated foe, but he is wreaking havoc in our lives, our culture to deceive us, to falsely accuse us, to destroy relationships, and he delights in our suffering. Jesus emphasizes that we take up our cross daily. That suffering, no matter how large or small, is a part of discipleship. And let's not forget that Jesus is there with you. To carry the cross with you. See, when we say yes to following Jesus, Jesus couldn't be more clear. We say no to self. Secondly, we say yes to suffering, but third, notice the beauty of the rest of this text. It gives us a promise, a glimpse of the truly good life where true happiness is found. Look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, For whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a person or a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? Now Jesus has extended his open invitation. He has framed his cross metaphor. And now he embeds in it a hopeful paradox. When the cross life will mean self-denial and it will mean sacrifice and suffering, Jesus now opens the door of insight and says, this is the path to true happiness. What we give up in following Jesus is nothing compared to what we gain. The Apostle Paul, who encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, whose life was radically changed, writes these words in Romans 8.18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth Comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is what Jesus is saying. In this message, paraphrased, Eugene Peterson again captures this paradox. It's a paradoxical topography of the kingdom of God. And he says, self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding yourself, your true self. Now notice how Jesus intentionally uses the imagery of profit or gain in this text. What Jesus is saying is there is no profit. There's no profit at all. Poof! In a life pursuit of a life built on self. In other words, all the things we chase after, and we all chase, right? We are desiring creatures. All the things we pursue, built around a selfish life, actually are not even neutral. They steal our true happiness. They are thieves. And is it any wonder when we look around our broader culture, our nation, how unhappy we are as a people? Oz Guinness, who is a friend of Christ's community and has written a brilliant book called The Call, says it better than anyone I know when he says these words. The trouble is that as modern people, we have too much to live with and too little to live for. Some feel they have time but not enough money. Others feel they have money but not enough time. But for most of us in the midst of material plenty, we have spiritual poverty. And spiritual poverty is inevitable when a life is built around self rather than the cross. Jesus reminds us that a life and a lifestyle built on oneself is a fundamentally agonizing, impoverished life now and forever. You may be here this morning, and if you are really honest, What drives you tomorrow morning on Monday is selfish ambition. Your life is built around self. Yes, you may have a good Christian veneer. You may talk a lot of Christian language. But if you're really transparent, your life is really about yourself. In many ways, you and I are much more like narcissists than we imagine. Remember that ancient Greek mythology? I encourage you to read it this week. Our sister was the son of a river god, but the idea is he was known for his extraordinary beauty. And he rejects the proper love of others, and he falls in love with what? His own reflection in a spring, and he dies. He is obsessed with himself, and when he is obsessed with himself, he loses himself. This is a timeless danger for the human condition. And it is a profound danger for your life and mine in our cultural context. We live in an unimaginably narcissistic culture. With any realm of understanding history. So wherever we are on our spiritual journey, we all struggle with this, don't we? We struggle in a cultural context that says life is about me. That the good life is a narcissistic life. We are incredibly self-focused, self-obsessed, and a selfish culture. And what that often means on Monday is the goodness of our work can become then the idolatry of our work. It may be a bigger and bigger promotion or a higher and higher flying career or All those things that aren't necessarily bad in themselves, but they often compromise the ability and energy and capacity for our spiritual life and disciplines. No time for our family, for our faith community. It sucks the life out of us. Parents, it's all too easy, isn't it? On Monday, to buy into the idolatry of the successful family, of showing everybody the perfect successful kids, of being overcommitted in our schedules, of having kids in so many activities and sports, there's no time for their spiritual disciplines or their growth, or no time for quality time with your family to be together, to truly connect and to be known and intimate with each other. And students, wow. It's so easy in our cultural context on Monday to be focused on building a great looking resume to get into that super college but in the process, neglecting our spiritual life and losing our faith when we get to college. Retirees, are you buying into the American dream of a self-focused life, of a kind of entitled self-indulgence, of seeking to be served rather than serving others in the community? what do Jesus' words beckoning you to a cross life of self-denial and sacrifice look for you in your season of life? Your Monday world. What does losing your life for Jesus' sake mean in this season? This is an important question. So wherever you are this morning, are you experiencing the good life that Jesus has for you, not just on Sunday, but on Monday. Jesus reminds us with crystal clear clarity that when we say yes to him, we say no to self, we say yes to suffering, and the good news is we find true life. So let me ask you the question this text asks, have you decided to follow Jesus? Following Jesus, first and foremost, is a defining moment. It's a defining moment when we hear and by faith embrace the good news of the gospel that Jesus offers each one of us forgiveness of sin and a new life. Not any marriage of our own or works, but simply what he has done on the cross. And we receive that by faith and we trust him as our Lord and Savior. And that begins the journey of discipleship. If you have not placed your faith in Christ may I encourage you to embrace this defining moment. I suspect many of you have made that decision. But notice what the text says, following Jesus is a daily decision. It is a commitment to follow Jesus in a Holy Spirit-empowered life of submission and obedience to his holy word. So are you following Jesus? Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, consider Consider the cost. What's the cost of following Jesus? I'm suggesting for you and me, we will face spiritual opposition. We will face the difficulty that self denial calls all of us to, and our time, talent, treasures. We will need to forgive others instead of paying back. holding a grudge. We may even have a less successful career. We might have a more successful career. But it may be less successful because of our loyalty to Jesus. We may have more material comfort we imagine. We may have less. You may be rejected and ridiculed by peers or a husband or a spouse or a family member or a brother or sister. You may be alienated because of simply your faith in Jesus. Not because you're a jerk. That's different. You may have to say no to some pleasures, good pleasures, and good desires. It may mean for some of you sexual abstinence rather than sexual pleasure. You may be called to serve others in a very sacrificial way. Jesus says repeatedly through the Gospels, follow me, but count the cost. Jesus' way is costly, but it is also priceless. But have you considered the cost of not following Jesus? I believe there is a much higher cost to not following Jesus in your life. You have that choice. If you decide not to follow Jesus, let me suggest at least four big consequences I want you to think about. First, your life will go against the moral grain of the universe God created and designed the world in a particular way. God's word gives us that beautiful design. And following Jesus' design and his alignment with the kingdom go with the moral grain of the universe. And there are consequences temporally and eternally to going against the grain of God's desire and design for his world. Secondly, I believe in the long run you will live an impoverished life. Intellectually, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. Isn't it interesting? In the New Testament book of Colossians, Paul says, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you miss Jesus, you miss a great deal of knowledge and wisdom. Only he can give that to you. Third, you will be unable to love and be loved as your heart so desperately longs to be loved. Without knowing the greatest lover of your soul, the loves of this world will never satisfy. The deepest longing of your heart will constantly haunt you. Fourth, you will face a Christless eternity. You were created with eternity in mind. You are loved with unimaginable love. That's why Jesus came to die for you and for me. But when you reject him, when you say no to him, you face a Christless eternity. Jesus himself says this, not out of judgment but of love, for God so loved the world. The most famous verse in the Christian Bible, maybe. For God so loved the world, he gave his what? His only son, that whoever believes in him will not what? Perish, but have eternal life. So which path will you choose? Which path will you choose? Will you follow Jesus this time tomorrow? Whatever that means, whatever that takes, wherever that calls you, will you experience his constant presence, his tender care and provision for you? On Monday, our lives can't be primarily about us, but about Jesus and the cross life he invites us to embrace. This path will be difficult, but it will be amazingly joyful. You will never be alone. Jesus is always with you to comfort, empower, and guide you into this cross life beautiful example, I think, of this is one of the members of our downtown campus, Phyllis Birmingham. As a follower of Jesus, Phyllis gives us such a beautiful window into her heart and her Monday world, something she would never have imagined as a little girl, something that is truly beautiful. Watch.
0: I never saw myself as being disabled or different. I accepted Jesus at 19 years old and you probably could hear me for three or four blocks. I just started praising God. It was just such a feeling in the presence that I had never experienced. And then when they got to talk about healing, how Jesus was a healer and they would talk about how I could be healed and I believed it. I walk away very discouraged, and nothing, no healing, no nothing. When I got in this wheelchair, it was very depressing for me because I really believed that if I had enough faith that I would not, that I would walk, but that wasn't the case. I never questioned God why I had polio. That in my mind, it was never, why am I like this? I never questioned that, but it was like, My question used to be, when am I going to walk? That's where I came to. I'm like, Lord, okay, I'm in this wheelchair and I know that you're a healer. I know it because I believe your word, but even if you don't, it took a long time for me to get there. I'm gonna still serve you. I was kind of just through with church, not God, but church. My daughter actually was on her way to going to another church and she thought Christ Community was that church. <laughs> so accidentally she came to Christ Community and she sat there and it was something about Christ Community that just hit a chord with her. And she came home and she said, mama, you got to come. It's not like any place we've been, you guys became my family. Christ Community became a place of refuge for me. It's a place of healing, still a place of healing for me. Coming to Christ Community has uh, really given me a different perspective on God and my ministry and and what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know part of my purpose is, is to encourage and to pray for people and, and to be there and to be a beacon of light when they don't see it. It's a place not just just worship, it's not just on Sunday, but it's every day of the week. I've never been a part of a ministry like that. And I can truly say I I feel valued, not just just as a believer, but as a person. And then as, as a person with a disability, I don't know if it's his will for me to be healed. Only he knows that. I can see one aspect of me being in a chair, bringing him glory. And I can say that because when people see that I love God regardless of my circumstances, when people see that I still praise him regardless of being in a chair, that gives people encouragement so they can say, no matter where I am, I can still serve God. Crisis is a 24 seven, seven days a week, God not just on a Sunday but Sunday through to the next Sunday and I see my purpose here you know just showing people Christ even if it's just a smile people understand the language of love